Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Purdue, who is wearing a fantastic shirt. I don't Where did you get that? That's fantastic. Oh. No, our audience has to see the whole thing. Yay! It's beautiful. Yay! Yay! It's beautiful. I mean, I've never seen the back, but I'm going to assume that it's great, too. It's fantastic. It's... <laughs> What that is, is the images from a Wilson cloud chamber, which is like the early kind of one of the early ways to study particle physics. And I think they would, they would like, not a, like aerosolize oil and then put it in this big like sphere. And then when particles would shoot through it, it, <laughs> when particles would shoot through it, you could track how they would move and they would collide. And so what that is, is it's an image of that and then artificially colored. And then I made it into, I made it symmetrical. Oops, I made it symmetrical. And so it would kind of look like the ceiling of like a cathedral. I thought it was a cool mixture of kind of like old and new, but it looks fantastic. And thank you for wearing it. Well, I love it. In fact, I wear it all the time. It's just my uniform. Oh, thank you. Miss Mitchell Purdue, what, what's on your mind today? What's on my mind is I'm kind of how about impressed that you could have gone to medical school. You're you're a podcaster, but on top of that, you're an artist and a manufacturer. Uh, I'm speaking to a Renaissance man, and I know it hurts to hear that, but deal with it. It kills me. I know, I know. I I just have this mean nature. I just I say things like that you, to you. You really sink your teeth in. Yeah. So what, what's been on my mind more and more is, and we've talked about it before, but it seems like more people are starting to notice it now, is, is censorship, is outright censorship. And I'd like to preface this by saying a lot of things that are censored, I fully acknowledge that I, I might be incorrect on when I'm saying that you know, they censor any video that says one plus one equals three. And I'm arguing for the, I'm arguing, I'm arguing for free speech to say one plus one equals three. And then let's find out if I'm right or I'm wrong. I completely acknowledge that one plus one might actually equal two and I might be incorrect, but I think you have to have, you can't wait until you find out the answer to something and then retroactively uncensor it like you're seeing right now with talking about COVID being made in a lab. It's, it's uh, to like, me, yeah, that's, that's so incomprehensible unless uh, I could put on my tinfoil hat in a moment. Uh, do I dare do that? Because please do. Well, yeah, but YouTube isn't going to love me. Who cares? I'll, I'll upload the first 30 seconds, then I'll put the rest on Spotify and BitChute and Rumble. I, I, we don't do self-censorship here, Mitzi. We, we don't do that here, all right? We, Perfect. We, we don't do that here. Because to me, so it, it seemed to me like willful blindness. I mean, I have thought this since um, about January of last year. Wuhan vi- laboratory of virology and 
that was studying bat coronaviruses. I mean, what, what, how, how willfully blind could you be not mm-hmm. to put that together? Mm-hmm. And, and that they wouldn't allow you to say what's plainer than the nose in my face. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's wacko. Um, and, and then, you know, I was, it used to bother me so much when people would say, you know, this is a conspiracy theory. No, it's just looking at the facts. It was, it was, seems to me wacko to censor that. But then the one that really gets me is hydroxychloroquine and remdesivir. I mean, that you couldn't even mention it. Yeah. Where, where does that come from? Unless it comes from, how about the fact that you couldn't get the emergency approval of vaccines if there was a medication that would well, you explain it. I've, I've heard it, but not well enough to. No, no, you, you, you have it correct. It's there's there's no reason to rush anything if there's a if there's an existing pharmaceutical or medication that works, right? It's so. I try to look at it as like. I'm trying to look at it as Occam's razor. Yes, I've. I, yeah. I totally endorse that. That you know that the that the fewer assumptions you have to make probably the more accurate your idea is. And uh, that seems to me, you know, if Occam's razor is sharp, it seems to me that the evidence is on one side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I don't think it's as simple as a virus jumped from a bat to a pangolin and then shut down the world. I also don't subscribe to the idea that this was all planned and that the pharmaceuticals are, they contain... Like nanoparticles for the government to track you. I don't. I think that is just as disingenuous as censorship. I think it's probably somewhere right in the center. They were doing research on gain of function. It probably slipped out due to human error. I tend to think China would do it intentionally, but let's give them the. Let's go true Occam's razor. It slipped out by accident through some error, and that scientist has probably been executed now. It got out. It went around the world. There was a, as Dr. Hodkinson says, there was a mad rush to do something because in the political sphere, it's always you want to be seen as doing something. Even if it's George Bush going and giving a speech on the rubble of the World Trade Center, it's like, did that actually do everything? Probably, probably not. The intelligence communities were hunting down whoever did it. But there is something to be said for you. You get out and you you show we're doing something, right? And... So I think that's what the rush for vaccines was. And I mean, I'm reading a book right now called The Creature from Jekyll Island about the Federal Reserve. Oh, I've read that. Oh, it's fantastic by G. Edward Griffin. And one of the things I'm finding early on is like completely non-conspiratorial, like not, not even never was classified, just information you can go back on. The bankers would buy up the newspapers of the cities they were in so that they would push forward good stories and hold back others. Kind of evil. That's also unfettered capitalism. That's another discussion for another time. We know that they do that. You you buy that. Why wouldn't you? You buy that. Exactly. So, and, and, and I'm so with you that Occam's razor dictates that uh, if they could, they would. Yeah. I also, I also have another philosophy. If I can think of some evil, terrible thing, pretty sure... Other people who might have less scruples than me can think of them also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so. What is the Occam's razor? Ra- the Occam's razor of all of it? It was made in the lab, slipped out accidentally. 
There's a bunch of political clout to be gained to show that I'm doing something and we're going to make vaccines. The vaccines were made by these huge corporations. It's once in a lifetime. You can't be held accountable and the whole world has to take it. I mean, that's the, that's the planets have aligned. And then, yeah, why wouldn't you pair up with big tech and say, hey, squash any dissent about ivermectin or or hydroxychloroquine or what was the third one you mentioned? Res, rem, ver, rem. <laughs> Res, do you know what? Um, remdesivir? Remdesivir. Squash those, not because it's the vaccines or the end of the world. No, it's just, you're squashing competition. And it's and so you want everyone to have to take yours because you're making record profits, which they are. Yeah, to me, that seems pretty, pretty straightforward. It's the least sexy answer to all of it. But to me, that says that's probably what it is. Is it something along those lines? And... It gets it gets hairy when you know let's let's try to entertain the idea of censorship, which I, I hate and I feel like I'm selling my soul even doing this thought ex- experiment, but let's you own YouTube or Twitter or something and you feel responsible for everything that's on your platform and you in your in your best intentions do believe that some idiot like me talking about how the virus came from a lab could be a threat to people who would normally get the vaccine, but now they're not, and you don't want blood on your hands. Sure, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't think that's what it is, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I have trouble giving them the benefit of the doubt, because think of some of the other stuff that comes on. I I know, but I'm just, I have to at least try to entertain where they're coming from. If I'm okay, just, and I, yeah. I, I have to admire you for that because uh, I think we've just diagnosed somebody who's more fair than I am. <laughs> it's well, to me, it's like if I don't even try, then what? What am I even doing? Why not? Why not just draw my line in the sand and go get in my trench, and we'll do trench warfare? Like at the very least, let's try. So let's say that's what it is, and so they censor anyone that talks about vaccines being bad because they don't want blood on their hands. All right, okay. When they're censoring the doctors who invented mRNA vaccine technology, which just happened last week, Dr. Malone went on, I've never watched the podcast, but Brett Weinstein has a podcast, I think with his wife, called the Dark Horse Podcast. I've never watched it, I've heard of it before. It seems I've like heard a- of it too, it must, it must be a thing because if I keep hearing about it. Yeah, and he went on there and they talked about it and the episode was... Uh, removed from YouTube by YouTube, censoring it for medical misinformation. But how can how can they judge from what's medical misinformation? Again, devil's advocate. Maybe they look at someone like me and they go, here's a guy that could be putting people in danger and they ban me for medical misinformation. We'll try to give them the benefit of the doubt. Sure, here's Tommy. He's not a physician. Okay. They're not a physician either, but they look at me and they go, let's just be safe and ban them. How can you ban the man who invented the vaccine technology for medical misinformation? All right. My my top of the head guess of what's going on is not medical misinformation. It's something else. Okay. So. All right. So what else would it be? And now we're getting into really dark stuff. Well, well, to me, it's 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 to me, it's I'm going to avoid going into the dark stuff. Could it be Occam's razor? 
they're getting a kickback from a couple huge pharmaceutical companies for going, hey, we're getting record, like, we're making profits that will be the stuff of legends. Like, our our grandkid pharmaceutical CEOs will be talking about this. Like, remember the good old days when there was a pain? Like, and they're saying, hey, we're making so much money. And sure, just, just ban it. And I don't know, maybe you, Mr. YouTube executive, maybe you get a... A 0.5% controlling stake in Pfizer. You and your grandkids are set for life. That's the simplest, not sexy answer. Because we know that stuff happens. Yeah, we do know that it happens. And, you know, that's one of the things that... Uh, <coughs> in the last few years, I, I feel as if the veil has been ripped off. Because... Uh, you know that I'm, I'm involved in combating human trafficking. Winthisfight.org. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there, there are things that you don't want to believe that people could do to each other. Mm -hmm. But they do. Yeah. And I was, and I was reading a th – this, by the way, is in the subject of that there are bad people who do bad things. I was reading – it was a book <clears throat> on why mass murderers do it. Do you have an opinion? Yeah. Why does somebody who's killed 12 people, why do they do it? And I will give you his answer, but I'd love to hear a guess. You mean like a serial killer or someone that goes on like a shooting? Serial, okay. serial killer. Well, actually. I feel like those are two wildly different answers. Mass shooter, that could just be someone that cracks and that could be from anything. Maybe stress. Maybe their daughter was killed in the drunk trip. But serial killer? I mean, this is somebody who's probably done it for years and... And the, would, author, the author of the book has, has talked with, he used to be an FBI profiler, and he's, yeah, he spent hours and hours with people. I and would, go ahead, you. My guess is, my guess is that they're probably wildly intelligent. And to them, it's like, it's like the Olympics of, de uh, of deception. Can they get away? With the old, you know, if I steal your wallet, people are going to look for it for a little bit and they're going to be like, yeah, it's a wallet. Getting away with murder of not even like political figures or people that you could see if there's a motive, if it's just, you know, random people. Yeah, to me, it seems it would be like the ultimate Machiavellian game. Can you get away with it? Can you lie to detectives' faces knowing that if you slip up once, it's over. There's no redos. That's what I would imagine it is. Okay, you you are strikingly close to what what this detective said. That might not be good. <laughs> <laughs> you have empathy. You understand them. Yay, Tommy. Yeah, but it might not be good that I hit it. I hit the nail on the head. That might not be a good. This will not work well against me in my eventual hearing. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So when the jury is listening to this tape, Tommy's really a good guy. <laughs> I swear. It just, but I totally get why they do it. It's a, it's a rush. But it, so what? what well, actually, that that is the word where he he said that at the moment they're well, they're motivated by domination, manipulation, and control. I mean, psychopaths are. That's definitional. But at the moment that they are engaged in a serial killing. Uh, they feel more alive, more more up than at any other time in their life. They, they get off on, I mean, it, it makes them feel alive and it's just, it's a huge rush. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. And uh, okay, so when the jury's examining my <laughs> conversation right now, hi everybody, I'm thinking of you. <laughs> uh, I'm by trade, I'm a writer. I mean, I've been a writer for most of my adult life, and part of being a writer is trying to trying to put yourself in the shoes of other people, trying to imagine what they're feeling, what they're thinking, and you know, I'd love to think that oh, I understand Mother Teresa. I don't, but but I can try. But equally, I can try to understand uh, a mass murderer, and I'm I'm going to guess that I'm no more good at understanding Mother Teresa or the mass murderer. But nevertheless, it's it's part of my job to try. Mm-hmm. And and to read about them and to try to figure it out, but one of the things that has you know, been involved in human trafficking, it's taught me that there are an awful lot more of the the people who are motivated by the same kind of thing as the mass murderer. In fact, there's a lot of people in the field of human trafficking. I ask I ask like psychiatrists. I ask. Um, People who are therapists, people who work in the field, and oh, and I also talk with people in finance, and you know, I continuously ask this question: Why do they do it? And you know, a simple answer is: You make a lot of money at it. Uh, a guy running four girls in New York, he can make a million dollars a year, uh, tax free. So a lot of people say that it's money, but I don't think so. I mean, well, yes, it's a part of it. But I'm starting to think that just the absolute rush of dominating, manipulating, and controlling another human being, if you're a bad guy, that that's pretty motivational too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, right? It's kind of like, why did Pablo Escobar, I think I remember hearing Joe Rogan talk about this years ago. He's like, he's like, after like the first billion, what keeps a guy like that going? And it's not, it's not like an Elon Musk or a Bezos where they have this vision, this ultimate goal that takes hundreds of billions of dollars, get off the planet, or maybe not even like a Bill Gates or a Steve Jobs where it's, you know, they're more focused on, or maybe more so Steve Jobs. They're more focused on always just putting out the best product and the billions are kind of a side effect. Or it might or just be something where you own something and it's just passively making money. And it's like, yeah, I don't need the ninth billion, but you know, I it's just kind of it's it's just kind of dumping into my account. Why does someone like Pablo where the act of continuing to work, I mean, you are just it's a game built on just blood and assassination and kidnapping and torturing and extortion and bribing and what keeps that guy going? Is did he really want thirty billion as opposed to twenty nine? Or I, I think we can guarantee that that money wasn't that big a mot- motivation because no, it's the power. you've heard the stories that I have of where that that just shoveled into like a wall and block it up, and then when that come back later, it had all molded and yeah. You know, so what's the word? Uh, the silverfish would would have been eating it. Yeah, oh, and so I, I don't think, but. We can get more personal here. I once asked Frank Perdue, and he was a wealthy man, but he lived a very middle-class life, and you know, he didn't have yachts and racehorses. Uh, he'd keep his car for 20 years. We lived in a pretty middle-class area. So as far as I could tell, spending the money meant 
almost nothing to him. Mm-hmm. So I'm asking him, uh, what, what does money mean to you if, if, if you're not spending it on luxurious living and traveling first class? And, and he said, it's a way of keeping score. Okay. And, and I have to believe that because, uh, I mean, I know a lot of people who are worth one one hundredth of he was who lived higher in the hog. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't need a big expensive house. Okay. I get, yeah, I, I see that. Keeping, why does Tom Brady, why is he going for number eight? He's already got seven. He's been, he's appeared at 10. I think he's appeared at 10 or he's appeared at nine. Yeah. You want to show what you, I mean, yeah, I get that. I look at it with this podcast and I often think like, what if I made like a hundred billion dollars today? And like, no, what I think about more than anything, when I think about the podcast and I'm like, where do I want this to go? I mean, yeah, I want to make a killing. I want to live a comfortable life. I want to be able to do philanthropy. But more than anything, when I find myself kind of talking out loud and I'll, I'll like, you know, the truth will will come out involuntarily, it's not money. I always find myself saying, you know, if I'll be having a beer with a friend instead of saying, I just want this to make so much money, it'll always come out. And I'll always say the exact phrase, I want this to get the attention I feel it deserves. I, I That's what I want. I... I I want to keep score. I want to know, did I do well? Did I interview good people? If money comes, cool, that's awesome. More than anything, it's, you know, why did I have to try to get in the 95th percentile on the MCAT instead of the 60th? It's keeping score. I was putting in the hard work in. I didn't want to to be like everyone else. For me, I'm competing against me. And And by the way, Frank uh, Frank didn't spend money on himself. I, I remember, like, one thing. I was with him for 17 years until his passing. But during that entire 17 years, I kept I kept score of what I'm about to describe. Uh, he bought three new pair of shoes. But otherwise, he couldn't be bothered. I, I, I do believe I had the highest cobbler bill in Maryland because he'd just wear them and wear them and then I'd resold them and wear them some more. He did not get his identity by spending money, but he did get identity by being incredibly philanthropic. Uh, and very, very often when he was making a donation, you know, a, a condition of the donation is that they didn't talk about it. Yeah. So, yeah, I discovered that almost our first a few months of, of marriage. Um, somebody from the Girl Scouts was telling about what a fantastic difference a gift that Frank had made was making to the local Girl Scouts. And I'm thinking, oh, this is wonderful. Uh, let's get some attention for it. And then I learned both from Frank and from the Girl Scouts, nope, can't do it. Uh, condition of the gift was that we don't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, and that... And that was 30 years ago, so I feel free to talk about it now. It's been long enough. So, well, no, but, but if, if, I'm, if I'm stepping over the line, Frank, come back and correct me. Frank's going to come back and smash something. <laughs> it's... Well, no, I think that, yeah, Frank, come back. This is this is another motivation. Yeah, Correct, right? I know. Yeah, right. It's, but so you got to think, so what are these motivations? Why do people do these things? And yeah, it's so tying back in to something like, what is the simplest explanation for this mass medical censorship? You got to think it's got to be. It's it's got to be something along those lines. Is it is it just that? Is it just that you're making money? 
or is it the way that they're making money? It's, is there something about, I mean, do you get to these, this rarefied air of the CEO of YouTube or Pfizer or AstraZeneca and do the people that rise to that level, are they people who already have more money than God? Is there something that gets them off at a mass deception at making money on something where there's already a, there's already a generic cure for if it's ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or whatever is, you know, you can listen to this podcast for free. Is there something that I would get off on where I can make people pay for it? Is that what it is? Is because, you know, what do you give someone that has everything? Maybe to them, it's how do they make the money? It's not so much that they made a billion in profit. It's we made it by, you know, pulling a fast one on the whole world. Is that it? I don't know. Well, uh, when I think of things that motivate bad guys, and I'm, I'm now drawing on rather sparse knowledge, but here goes. Uh, how about blackmail? Mm-hmm. How about how about bribery? How about threatening to be exposed for something? I think that I think that happens more often than the average person can possibly imagine. Well, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's 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 how you can that's how you wield power. Is but like uh, you have a phrase that you frequently use on this podcast. It's it's warfare that is what's what's the word unrestricted warfare unrestricted warfare, and uh, you also had a guest that I absolutely treasured uh, who was talking about how Wanchi. Wanchi, yeah, yeah. Wanchi. Yeah, how, how it's an awful lot cheaper to, to bribe somebody or to blackmail somebody than it is to build a battle cruiser. A hundred percent. Okay, so why why wouldn't okay, let's assume I'm a bad guy. Let's see, you know, I, I have my tinfoil hat, I have my white hat. What what hat does I guess I have to wear my black hat horns. now? Oh horns, that yeah. works. Yeah. Okay, I'm a bad guy. Uh, and Hypothetically, oh, let's not mention names. I live in uh, East Albonia, which is uh, Scott Adams' favorite country. Okay, I'm in East Albonia, and I happen to have a population of more than a billion people, and I've got this rival. And I, as a good, good East Albonian, want to cause havoc with my rival. Who am I going to go after? And I think I would dearly like to go after media people I would love to go after judges mm-hmm. uh, probably teachers unions you know where, where could I create the most havoc and then I'd do everything I could to uh, as a good East Albonian I would do everything that I possibly could to destroy uh, elements of society that would resist me like hmm, churches Boy Scouts Girl Scouts um I, I would try to have, I would try to weaken the, every, everything about the country and maybe my prime target of all would be top communications like YouTube, Twitter. I, I'm, I'm unaware of censorship in LinkedIn, uh, but maybe there is. But okay, so with unconventional or unrestricted warfare, 
I'm thinking, okay, a little tale out of school, somebody that I was reasonably close to. There was a period, and we're talking 35 years ago, where I was friendly with the highest ranking female member of the two Teamsters. And uh, she showed me in the Teamsters library, there was a person that I knew who had, uh, it was a furniture factory, but it, it employed like, I'm going to guess 500, 800 people. And they wanted, the Teamsters wanted to organize it. And they had a file. Uh, I'm not sure if I can demonstrate this on camera, but there's a file. I'm holding my hands apart. Make it twice this length. Of everything you could possibly think about this guy. Uh, yeah, they, and this is just for one small factory. Uh, they, they knew who he dated. They knew what he thought of his children. They, they knew who he was mad at. They, they just had everything on him. And I don't know the outcome. I don't know whether whether that factory got unionized or not. But, you know, I'm watching this with my jaw dropping. They're going to do that for to take over a factory with, let's say, 800 people. What would they do to get a Supreme Court justice? What would people what would bad guys do? You know, I as a good East Albonian, what would I do to get you would to get to get the head of Twitter? You would. I'd do everything I possibly could, and it would be a lot more than than files. You would you would buy an island. Oh well, yes. As a matter of fact, I guess I would. You'd buy an island, and you name it Epstein Island, and you'd get a private plane, and you'd fly out presidents, presidents who fly out there and purposely leave their Secret Service detail behind. Yeah, that's what you. I mean, it's it makes the most sense. It's it's. Well, I would like to have you prime minister of of my country of East Albonia because you're good. Yeah, well, th- well, that's what I mean. Is like, it's it's evil, but if it can be done, it will be done. And if you and I can think of it, then people with uh, less moral restraints would do it. I mean, you've just quoted Mitzi Perdue, by the I way. Have, I have it's, because that's one of my deepest beliefs that uh, if we can think of it, they can think of it, and they don't have the same. Res- strengths that we do i mean let's play devil's advocate this is going to be a difficult one to play the advocate for but i mean i've had on the author two times now or three times jefferson morley who wrote the book uh the ghost story about uh cia counterintelligence chief james jesus angleton who was just i mean i mean this guy's the stuff that spy novels are written about but he was an officer in World War II. I mean, he he grew up and saw the world at war. He saw the number of lives it took. He saw, he saw, you know, and the only way it was ended was with atomic bombs over cities of men, women, and children. I can only imagine, and this is what Mr. Mr. Morley kind of points to, I can only imagine someone like that who served in World War II, as an officer who served in World War II, he was able to justify, you know, helping bring Nazis back to America or getting blackmail on, on Soviet leaders because World War II was something he lived through and he saw millions of bodies just dropped every year. 
maybe someone like that looks at running in Epstein Island, children being trafficked, raped, and killed. I mean, does someone, does someone like that not, do they not have the luxury of of saying, no, we can't do that? Do they go, you know, I, I, I saw 100,000 U.S. soldiers mowed down in Europe, and then we ended up dropping bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and killed 300,000 kids. If I can kill 100 kids used as sex slaves, but I'm able to blackmail foreign generals to prevent another D-Day or Hiroshima, I mean, that gets into some uncomfortable territory. What and yet, is, I feel... What is the... I mean, it's, what I'm saying is you and I have the luxury to say, absolutely not. You can't do that. That's objectively evil. On the other hand, um, I'm not going to take that luxury because I'm a big believer in the philosopher John Stuart Mill. I think he was, let's see, he was writing around 1848, so we're talking a while ago. John Stuart Mill said that one of the principles is the greatest good for the greatest number. And boy, if you can stop... If you can stop another Nagasaki or Hiroshima, do it. Yeah, yeah. And what brings me to another thought, I was just, you know, this is random, but it happened today. Uh, I've been, people have been talking, I don't know why, but the man's name keeps coming up. Colonel West. Uh, Colonel West, he's, he's from Texas, and he became famous because uh, of a case where there was, I'm, I'm going to mangle the story a little bit, but directionally I'm going to be correct. Um, he was in, oh, now I'm really going to mangle it. I don't know if it was Afghanistan or Iraq. Anyway, he was overseas. And he caught a person who was, or people under him, caught a person who was planting IEDs, explosive devices, on the roads that our troops were, were traveling. And so now this... He, the, the guy's now a prisoner of war, the, the guy planting the bombs. And Colonel West asked him, where are the other ones? You know, we caught you with this one, but we know you had many. Where did you put the others? And the guy sort of said, ha, ha, you can't get me to talk. And Colonel West, wanting his, the, the troops under him to live, took out his gun, put it at the guy's head and said, I'm going to blast your brains out unless you tell me right now. Um, and the guy spilled the beans and... You know, lots of American soldiers were weren't blow up by, blown up by IEDs. However, there was a member, and it might have been the press, but there was somebody who watched this and complained that he had mistreated a prisoner of war. And uh, Colonel West was fined, and he was allowed to retire immediately. And I'm thinking, what? What? You scare a guy, but you save... 20 lives how how could they how could they discipline him for that i would want our, our anybody in his position to do that yeah but but obviously i've got a different i mean i guess john stuart mill has reached 200 years into the future from when he was writing and it landed on me or i think the greatest good for the greatest number um Save guys, and you know, it's not that you shot this person. It's not that you cut his head off or something. No, you just scared him real bad. Yeah, yeah. It's. I always think about that. Like, 
I mean, there's like a there's a political cartoon, and it's I mean it's it's hard to say it's a cartoon when talking about this subject, but there's a political cartoon, and it's two people who jumped out of the World Trade Center on 9/11, and they're like falling next to each other, and you know their ties are flapping in the they're falling to their death, but one of them's looking at the other, and he says, "What's your opinion on enhanced interrogation techniques?" And it's like, whew, you know, it's, I have the luxury of saying we shouldn't waterboard. Man, when you're staring down 80 floors below you, and you're about to jump to your death because it's preferable to burning alive because some Islamic extremists flew passenger liners full of people into the buildings. It, I mean, what, you know, at what point does it, at what point does it become justified? But then is that mode of justification, is that how over time you become the very thing you're fighting? Do we do this mode of justification long enough that all of a sudden other people in other nations who didn't see the whole story arc of us doing what needed to be done, they just look at it as like, yeah, they kidnapped my kid and tortured him to get information. Like, screw these people. Like, to them, like, we are the Nazis. And they're like, these people are evil. I mean, justification for the greatest good, it's, I mean, what did the Nazis say when they would imp when they would roll out new laws? It's always, I can't say it in German, but for your safety. That was their justification, for your safety. You know, what happens when that mindset of the greatest good for the greatest number of people, what happens when one of these psychopaths gets behind the reins of power and to them it's just like, oh, I'm, it, it's for the greatest good. What happens that when reminds yeah. me of something that my late father used to say, which is, he said, in my life I've met many liars, thieves, and crooks. I've never met anyone who thought he was a liar, thief, or crook because man's capacity for self-justification is infinite. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, Shiro Ishii, the, the Japanese doctor who was the head of Unit 731 in Manchuria, which is a, which was a medical uh, testing facility, a bioweapons testing facility that, I mean, made the Nazis look timid. The, the stuff that's where the famous uh, vivisections come from, where they would uh, operate on people alive, no anesthetics, just tie them down and just start opening them up, see how long people could. There, this the Jocko Willink, the uh, former Navy SEAL commander, did a great episode on it on his podcast. If anyone's listening, just go to YouTube and type in Jocko Unit Seven Thirty One J O C K O. Shiro Ishii. It was nationalism. He was fighting for his country. I think he was born in the 1890s, like lived through World War I, saw World War II, and just like us or just like Germany or just like the Soviets or just like whoever, saw their nation in the right, saw an evil enemy killing your, your righteous men, women, and children. So he said, I think his quote is, America is a machine society. We have the ability to, to build tanks. Like there's a quote from an American tank commander who said one German tank could take on four American tanks. That's how well they were engineered. And they said, well, well how did we, well, 
how did we win? Because clearly we won. And it's, oh, well, we always had five tanks for one tank. <laughs> so we just, you know, we did the, we did the McDonald's, the Happy Meal thing. We just had more. So Shiro Ishii said, America's a machine society. We had the ability to just, we could just build fighter jets and tanks and planes like no other. You have better technology than us? Whatever. We're just going to drown you in numbers. Which sounds a lot like modern day China, but I digress. America is a machine society. They can rebuild their planes. They can rebuild their tanks and their liberty ships. It takes 18 years to create another soldier. 16 if you really want to be brutal and have a young soldier. So they worked on biological weapons. Or they'd take a... They take bubonic plague and, and smallpox and, and they do all these things. They tested them on uh, prisoners who they called marutos, which means log. So they told them they were logs. They're not real people. They tested it on American POWs. They would, they would, they would take, they would take fleas infected with smallpox or uh, bubonic plague. And they would like put them in these cages of rats and the rats couldn't get out. But they would burrow in the rats and reproduce, so they get these massive amounts of fleas. And then they'd put those in artillery shells. And they were gonna they never used them. The war was over. But they were gonna use these as a last line of defense. Release a disease on the world that okay, if we're gonna lose, the rest of the world's gonna lose with us. Is that where that justification what's the end of that justification? The Nazis using slave labor in Nordhausen uh, to build uh, V2 rockets at an unimaginable pace because it didn't matter if it's slave labor, just build them around the clock. What happens if they die? Bring in the next one. What if they resist? Shoot them. Bring in the next one. They're defending the fatherland. I mean, that justification is a slippery slope, right? I mean, we we see it through our eyes because we were the victors and we were born in the United States and we look at it as we needed to drop the nukes. We needed to do this. We need to. And I agree on all those counts. On the other hand, I have, I have Asian friends and I have a Brit friend who said that was just pure racism that, that made us drop those bombs. Yeah, it's exactly. It's, and it's, and sometimes you see that and you go, should we have done that? But there's this interview. I'll, I'll send it to you that I've watched a couple times now. And so of this like a uh, 97 year old guy named, uh, I think it's Walter Filipek, who's like a completely coherent, sharp as attack veteran who like fought on the islands in the Pacific. And you just hear this guy talking about it and you're like, oh, that's why we dropped the bomb. Because it was just, it was a war of attrition. He was like, it's not that we were better than them. It's not that we were better fighters. There's just more of us. So we would stack their bodies. They'd stack our bodies. And at the end of the day, if we had... 101 and they had 100 well we'd win because we had one left over and they would take marines as pow's and they'd find their buddies with their eyes chopped out with their genitals cut off and stuffed in their mouth with their faces skinned i've i've read about that maybe you yeah. get, maybe you get to a point where you're like you're there and it's 1945 and you're there fighting and you're going drop the bomb i don't give a shit drop it yesterday I don't give a shit. Is it racist? I don't care. I want to go home. I have a wife and kids. I'm here in hell fighting on these godforsaken coral islands in the Pacific that are just painted red with blood. 
you probably don't give a shit. You're like, drop a hundred bombs. Actually, the thing is, my view is that it wasn't racist because if it had been Germany in the exact same situation, I think would have dropped the bomb too. I don't, I don't, and yeah, I, I've got a very personal reaction to all of this because I have a brother, uh, he'd be in his 90s if he were still alive. He was in the Navy and he was in a ship steaming towards Okinawa. And then all of a sudden, they could turn around and he went to Hawaii. But but it, I think it was, what are the estimates of how many we would have lost? A quarter of a million? The, Just est- to- the estimates were a million U.S. casualties. I don't know how many deaths that is, but that's what the estimates, and I don't, I don't okay, know. But my brother almost certainly would have been one of them. Because oh, 100%. He, yeah, so, um, but to me, the issue wasn't that they were Asian, uh, because if it was Germany, I would have, Felt exactly the same way. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's, it doesn't matter. I wanted him alive, and if there's a way of, of short circuiting this thing, do it. My dad's dad was supposed to be was supposed to be part of the mainland invasion, and yeah, he was going to be fodder. I probably wouldn't be. So I can't even logically argue against it because I'm arguing against my own self protection. I probably wouldn't be here. It's. And and yeah, and full disclosure is is the Germans were working on an atomic bomb. They were working on something called the America Bomber. They were working on something called the Sil- Silbervogel, Silverbird, which was a rocket launched plane that would go up. It was the predecessor to the space shuttle by like 40 years by wow. a, a guy last name uh, Sanger. And they wanted to launch this, who we ended up bringing back to the United States. But the Silbervogel was this uh, S-I-L-B-E-R-V-O-G-E-L was this thing that would, it was actually pretty badass. It would take off on this rocket sled on this like track, gain a bunch of speed, take off, go to the upper atmosphere, and then use the the effect where you can bounce off the atmosphere. Like that was the problem that Apollo 13 had as they weren't sure if it was going to deflect off, but they were going to use this to like skipping a stone across a lake. They were going to skip across the atmosphere over the Atlantic and they wanted to nuke DC, nuke, uh, 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 New York, and then they were going to land in Axis-controlled uh, islands in the Pacific. Like, it was a race to the bomb. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I mean, that's why Leo Szilard came over from Germany and wrote a letter to FDR, but luckily he had some clout because he had his buddy, well, and FDR, the office of FDR originally ignored it, but Leo Szilard, this Jewish physicist from Germany, was luckily friends with a guy that had a little more clout named Albert Einstein and who he and he was also the I think he was the chauffeur for just luck would have it Edward Teller who later became the uh, the father of the hydrogen bomb made was pushing FDR saying something along the lines of there will within a couple of years be the technology to create a uranium bomb of like fantastic force one of which could destroy a city and that's what led to FDR signing $2 billion in 19-whatever it was, 43 money, to create the Manhattan Project. Like, like the Germans were going to do it. So it's not even like, oh, uh, the Japanese were getting ready to surrender. Like, if we didn't have this bomb, the Germans were going to do it. Like, there was – it was a race to the bo- – it was a race to who could annihilate each other the best. And it's – yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't know, it's, do you gotta just, is every nation gonna do that, and do you just have to take the least evil nation, which I believe is the United States, where at least you can be, for the most part, free? 
I mean, I don't know. It's above my pay grade. I don't even know how the hell we got here. Something about censorship. <laughs> but I'll jump in on, on who should have that power. It seems to me the more, the bigger the government is, the more control it is, uh, the less people get to the top through free elections and the more through uh, force and fraud. Mm-hmm then the more psychopathic the people who reach the top, and by the time you're Hitler or Mao or Stalin or Pol Pot, you know, these people got there through through violence and how about terror? Yeah. That is how it works when when government doesn't have any competing forces. On the other hand, in a functioning democracy where you've got like lots of businesses and a free press there's a lot of ways of keeping the psychopaths from reaching the top but they will reach the top when when government has no no sort of counterbalancing factors so i would sure rather those decisions be made in a democracy rather than in a dictatorship which is going to be the people who lead a dictatorship are going to be psychopathic because they don't get that they don't reach the top without caring about domination, manipulation, and control. Yeah. Yeah, and it... So everything we're talking about, though, we can only have these discussions because we have the information. We can now talk about it. Granted, it was 76 years ago, but the the the, the foundation of it all is we can talk about it. We can dissect it, and we can learn from history. We can go, hey, you know... It's a dangerous justification to say for the greater good. Look what, you know, Unit 731 did. Look what we did in Nagasaki. Look at the Germans did in Dachau. Look at whatever. And, and if I can interrupt, that, that gets right back to what my father used to say. Man's capacity for self-justification yeah. is infinite. Yeah. It's so... But we can look back on history and talk about all of this. And then we can compare it to what's going on today. None of that self-reflection or analysis or extrapolation is possible if it's being censored. People are now taking the side of big tech and they're going, the reason why it was censored is because no one knew that it came from a lab. But now that the evidence is coming out that it probably was from a lab, now you're allowed to upload videos about it without getting banned. And it's, no, you can't go, oh, now it's true, so now it's not banned anymore. The very method at which we arrive at the truth is because there was no censorship. We would have got to this finish line earlier if you had allowed for the free discussion of information. The more information that's out there, and you have 350 million American or 7 billion worldwide minds, individual minds, having conversations like this, not everything is CNN or a White House press briefing. Sometimes it's just you and I talking and maybe 100 people listen, but you never know what inf- whose mind that information lands on. You don't know what physician that lands on or someone with, you know, a wonderful knowledge of World War II could chime in. You have to have that free flow of information to reach these truths. You can't you can't censor things and then allow it afterwards and go, okay, that was true. We can let that out. No, who the hell are these gatekeepers that get to decide this? I mean I'm afraid that there are people with IQs of 120 who might have gone to a podunk college and want to feel important and are being manipulated by someone with a 300 IQ who's a psychopath. Yes, exactly. You nailed it. I mean, 
even if the creator of the mRNA vaccine came out and said, you have to squash all opposition because otherwise we're all going to die, I would still say, no, we have to be able to talk about it. Because even if he's right, let's say ivermectin, let's say for whatever reason that would that would destroy the world if hydroxychloroquine got out. For whatever reason, let's just say that's the case. By banning talking about it, you're not doing yourself any favors. If, if, if I... Is there, there have got to be a whole lot of people like me who think, you don't want us to talk about it? Why don't you want us to talk about that's it? That's exactly what I'm fighting? saying. That's what I'm saying. So even if, even if your, your cause is objection, ob- objectively correct... You have the object, uh, objective answers. You know that one plus one is two. And so you're going to censor all videos that say one plus one is three. Simp- even though you're correct, one plus one is two. By censoring videos, you are unduly giving that idea credit because people are going, well, does one plus one equal? Why are you banning it? Why are you? Have you, have you read the, I think it's a Gallup poll about trust in, in the United, in the U.S. government starting like at the time of Eisenhower and up to today? Mm-hmm. Uh, time of Eisenhower, 76% of the country believed that, you know, we did, we tried to do the right thing. Had a lot of trust in government. That was like 28%. Yeah. So they, they have just, they've self-assassinated their credibility. Yeah. Which is not a good thing. No. and you In have- fact, did you, did you come across this? That in Russia, there's huge resistance to taking the vaccine. Yeah. Huge. I probably heard that on, on, on your show. Uh, but that the, 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 the resistance is they're so used to not trusting their government that when their government says, oh, it's safe, go ahead, they say BS. Yeah. But that's the thing is... is- did I get that from, from one of your shows? I don't know. I don't know if I've talked about Russia recently. I know that there, I know that Moscow is mandating it now, but that is the problem. Is as soon as you censor stuff, I mean, even if it's not real, you give it credit. You have to just let the information flow. The free information will, it, the truth will rise to the top. It's unless you have a malign motive for not wanting the truth to come out. Well, exactly. And if you look through all all of history. There are always psychopaths in power that are trying to manipulate things. Why is it any different just because the year is 2021? Agreed. Mitch Purdue. Okay. I was going to say, let's wrap this one up. Did you? Sorry, I cut you off. No, I, I was just, uh, the trouble is I didn't get my hand up fast enough to, to mirror yours because I was agreeing with you. Okay. Well, yeah, it's, it's until next time, Miss Mitch Purdue winthisfight.org, help fight human trafficking. As always, I love you. And thank you for I wearing my adore you. I think you're the best thing on, on, oh, stop on the air, on oh, the internet. Oh, stop it. No, I won't. Sorry. Okay, I'll let you keep going then. Deal with it. Miss Mitzi Purdue, thank you so much, and I'll text this to you when it's up. Super. All right. Bye. Bye. You have a good one. Recording stopped.